This is a crowd podcast. Maybe you know Nick Drake. The songs, the sound, the way he looks, in the few photos there are. How obsessed people are with him now, so long after his death, when at the time he just seemed invisible. Maybe you don't. A name you've heard, but not the singing, the playing. Not a clip from an old music show, because he was never on any. Never the mainstream. Barely even the underground. Never on the radio. Because there's so many puzzles about Nick Drake, how he plays the guitar that well. Bits borrowed from here and there to make something totally new. All these strange tunings, this finger-picking like he's three distinct men on three different guitars. How he's never a pop star and never a pop singer. But people love him now like he's their private hero. Their own secret star. How he wants to be famous but won't do what it takes. No interviews, no tours, barely even speaking most of the time. Why it happens for others but never for him. All that talent. The songs that wrap around you like smoke from a campfire. He releases three albums, and while he's alive, none of them sells more than a few thousand copies. Each sells less than the last. Puzzles and confusion and a sense of loss and failure. Why no one can get close to him. He's only 26 when he dies, but no one's surprised in a weird way. No one can help him. No one can get through. So here's what you need to know about Nick Drake. He's tall, skinny, silent. Black suit jacket, white shirt, black hair down to his collar, over his face. Pale skin like a kid who's never been in the sun. A willow tree, stripped of its bark. He's posh. Proper posh. Public school in Cambridge posh. When you hear him, he sounds like a Pathé newsreader. Like an acquaintance of the royal family. One has one's reservations. You never say I when you're that posh. You say one. one. In moments of stress, one forgets so easily. The lies, the truth, the pain. That's Nick on this old cassette tape they found years later. He's not rock and roll, and he's got nothing to rebel against. He's from money. His parents love him. He's got friends who adore him. The music? Like a walk with a spliff on a summer's evening, out in the woods, in the fields. Sunlight on green leaves, birds in the trees. Like staying up all night, listening to the wind and the leaves on your window. Going out early when it's just you and the wild world waking up. No cars, no jet planes, no howling electric guitars, even though it's the late 60s, the early 70s. Everything understated, most things unsaid. Little hints of emotions, but no eye contact. His guitar, clean and pure, rhythmical, soft cellos and gentle piano as if you're stepping back in time to an England you never know and maybe never even existed. He wants to make people of his generation happy. That's what he says once. And he doesn't think he succeeds, even though the music seems so clear now, like it's made for today. 
but he's barely ever there. This beautiful, doomed boy. You think the others know him, but they don't. No one does. Everyone's always reaching out and finding he just slips away. Like the air passes through him. Like he's blown away on the slightest breeze. There, but not there. And everyone who cares, trying to find him. Trying to hold on. This is Death of a Rockstar, the story of Nick Drake. This is the house where it starts, where it ends. It's called Farley's because it's big enough to have a name, not a number. Metal gates, a gravel drive, tall trees hiding the front, running down the side and out into the long garden. Old red bricks, square sash windows, like a great Victorian vicarage, the home of a country squire. The village is the same. An old church, an old pub, a lot of old people. This is Nick's room, as a kid when he comes back. Hollowed out in the final days. A round window, the sun streaming in. A wooden desk and a chair. A single bed, a beige duvet, a bookshelf. His acoustic guitar when he's playing. Because there's always music in this house. His father, and he is a father, not a dad plays piano, writes these funny little spoof operettas. His mother plays most things and her songs are different, happy, sad, all undercurrents and wistfulness, a voice that hints at something else. They've got a tape machine in the piano room. They play songs, write songs, record songs, reflecting the world outside, the world within. There's something Nick's sister says once, she's an actress, same aristocratic way of speaking, lots of poise. She says, my father made living possible for my mother. Always the darkness, just below the surface. Even in this comfort, this bright house with the big windows. And it's his mother Nick looks like too, the same cheekbones and teeth, the same uncertain smile. There's something else, something that comes in one of his school reports. He almost sounds different there because he's a good rugby player, a proper sprinter, breaking school records, house captain in his last two years. But the headmaster says, none of us seem to know him very well. And when he goes off afterwards, does the public school thing of bumming around the south of France for a summer, the same thing happens. People see him around. Old mates from school, their parents with houses in Provence where they stay. The ones who see him practising his guitar always hunched over, like the strings are in his guts. His long fingers picking and plucking. The ones who smoke dope with him, who go by sticky lumps of dark hash from the people who bring it over the med from North Africa. The girls who fancy him but never get the sense he fancies anyone. The ones who try to earn money with him by busking on the streets, but no one really knows. Someone says he's into LSD. Someone says he's gone to Morocco, gone to the source of all that hash. He's got friends, 
but no one he'd tell stuff to. Girls, but none he ever kisses. Other musicians, but none he ever forms a band with. Just the ones who hear him play and think, I don't know anyone our age who's as good at anything as Nick. The boys want to show him off. They think, how can you play the guitar so every single note sits exactly where it should and rings out like polished glass? The girls want him to show off to them. They think, his skin's so pale you can almost see through him. He's so shy, he's all hair and lips and bashful eyelashes. They think, I could change that. And none of them can. Nick, he writes songs and smokes his dope and blows in and out on the breeze. And when he goes to Cambridge, this kid who's read all the romantic English poets, the beautiful wasted boys like Swift and Blake, Keats and Shelley and Byron, he plays guitar and he smokes and he drifts. Maybe it works too for a while before the drugs get harder, before they take over. He sends a letter back home, back to his parents in that big, bright house, says, I've been extraordinarily happy with life. I think I've thrown off one or two useless complexes that I picked up before coming here. It seems like the start of something. You hear Nick play and you want others to hear it too. So there's a demo he records in his student room on a four-track in early 1968 and a producer says he'll listen, gets halfway through the first song and thinks, this is pretty special. Calls Nick up, says, I want to make a record. And Nick stammers, four words. Oh, well, yeah, okay, that's it. Quite chatty for Nick. He decides to drop out of college, and when his father says, won't a degree be a safety net, he says, the whole point is, I don't want a safety net. Here's how it happens. The producer wants it intimate, no shiny pop reverb on his voice, close to the mic, breathy, just between you and him. When they want stuff around the guitar, it's a uni mate of Nick's who does the arrangements, cellos and violas, upright acoustic bass top folk musicians doing the session work. There's counter melodies in there, a low line of strings, other instruments taking over from each other. But it's the guitar that always leads it, holding the rhythm, carrying you through. And there's more of Nick here than anywhere else. The album's called Five Leaves Left, a knowing nod to the little message that comes out of a packet of rolling papers when you've been hammering the spliffs and you're running low. So that's the dope. The woods, the fields. They're in songs like Riverman, In Day Is Done, Saturday Sun. Like you're stepping back in time to an England you never knew that maybe never existed. And he's right there in your ears, whispering, playing. But he's distant too. Never really raising his voice, never yelling or pleading. Everything's understated. Most things unsaid. There'll come a time when people rave about it, stick it in lists of the greatest debut albums ever, the best albums full stop. Now? Now, no one seems to care. Not very much. There's no singles on it, so nothing gets played on the radio. 
There's only one radio station to play anything on and Radio 1 is pretty much pure pop. It's for big stars with big sounds, not for shy kids who won't do interviews. The sleeve's not great. There's a picture of him in an empty flat staring out an open window. But they print the songs in the wrong order and lyrics for verses that aren't even on the album. It never makes the charts. It doesn't make many record shops. Even his own sister doesn't know her brother's got an LP out until he walks into a room, throws a copy down on the bed and says, there you are. So he smokes his dope and sits in his London flat and stays in his own head, staring out of windows, staring at walls. Here's how it's meant to work. You have a record out, you go on a tour. Maybe supporting bigger acts, maybe doing small clubs. Get your name out there, get people talking, because if no-one knows you exist, how are they going to buy your record? But Nick can't do it. He goes on stage and he's too shy to speak. The audience keep talking, keep drinking. He plays alone, sitting on a stool, hunched over. No chat about the songs, no eye contact. And that doesn't work. See, you've got to win them over, stop them talking and drinking. Nick? He spends half his time retuning his guitar to get those strange chords and sounds. In the folk clubs, they think he's too weird. They want sea shanties and sing-alongs. In the rock clubs, he's too quiet. In the working men's clubs, he's pure disaster. He cancels gigs, says he can't do it, goes back to his flat and smokes and stares. And he blows in on the breeze. There's something lots of his friends will tell you about Nick, how he'll come by out the blue, just turn up, always on his own, come in, sit down, have a cup of tea and say nothing. There's a girl, Linda Thompson, on her own way to the top of the folk scene, into the same things as him. When Nick goes to see her, they play records. He likes Elgar, old blue stuff. She puts on records that have just come out, he takes them off. And when he leaves, without saying goodbye or thanks or ever a hug or kiss, she gives him a ten-shilling note to get home because he never has any money. Love? They all love him, his friends. But he's never in love with anyone. Never going out, never intimate. Here's what one friend says, one of his old college mates, one of the smokers. I can't really imagine Nick having sex with anyone because he'd have to take his clothes off and he was always much too shy to do that. His friends never overlap, at arm's length and always kept apart from each other, the separate parts of Nick's life. And he goes down to stay with two other folk musicians, John and Beverly Martin, Big talents, big faces on the scene, loads of gigging, working at it. There's a tree outside his window there. You can see all the way out to the English Channel, the full moon reflecting on the water. He writes songs as he sees them, lines about the sweet breezes he smells, the tops of the tree. There's enough songs for a second album. It'll be called Brighter Later, and it's beautiful, maybe his best all full of his soft voice, the warmth of his guitar, gentle pianos and cellos and 
always this wistfulness, this happy, sad melancholy. Like autumn now, not summer. Regrets and maybes in with the late mornings and fuzzy heads and golden glow. One producer says, very seldom do you make a record and say, there's nothing about that I would have wanted to change. But brighter later, I can't think how it might be better. But you look at the cover and you work out what else is going on. Nick in a wooden chair, all stiff shoulders and awkwardness, folded over his guitar, left hand high up the fretboard, right hand just waiting, like he's on pause. Long hair over his face, eyes hidden, thin fingers, thin arms, thin legs. There's more than just a few spliffs now. A photographer who does a shoot with him talks about industrial quantities of cannabis, barbiturates, the stuff that slows everything down, puts you in a cocoon. He mentions the rumours about heroin. So the record doesn't sell, again, because Nick's still not touring, not doing interviews. He tries one, and the journalist can't get more than single words out of him. Sometimes it's just mumbles. Some of his mates think, is he just putting this on? Is he too obsessed with looking cool? Too obsessed with these doomy romantic poets, the beautiful wasted boys? It's a look for some people. It's the time of singer-songwriters, James Taylor, Carole King, Al Stewart and Cat Stevens. Introspection is intriguing if you play it right. One friend says, at what point are they going to say, fuck this, I've got to go have a drink and a bit of fun? But it seems real for Nick. He'll be round someone's house and everyone's laughing, having a joke, playing songs on guitars, sharing food, and Nick just sits on the floor, motionless, as if there's something around him, a world between him and you. When that photographer tries to take some pictures, he says to himself, this is like doing a still life. There's nothing coming back from him. You run around him trying to find motion, energy, and there's nothing. He's not washing now, Nick. His fingernails are growing long and dirty. Happiness? It's not that nothing seems to make him happy. It's that he's stopped even looking. There's something his sister says about how he can't cope with the world, the rejections, the rough and smooth. Nick had no outer skin, no defences. That's what she says. And their mother... The one who used to write her own happy, sad songs, who also needs someone to make life possible for her. She writes a poem called The Shell. That's her way of explaining it. Living grows round us like a skin to shut away the outer desolation. The homely shell of worry, discontent and narrow joy. OK, I need to head off for a quick ad break. But I'll be back in a minute to tell you more about Nick and what happens next. This is an advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Hello, it's Tom Fordyce here. I'm one of the writers on Death of a Rockstar, and I do hope you're enjoying the series. I wanted to tell you about BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses in life, big and small. A lot of the people I wrote about for this series absolutely did. And as we know, 
If we keep those stresses bottled up, it can impact us negatively. That's where therapy can be great. Therapy isn't just for people who've experienced major trauma. It can help you understand the way your brain works and why you feel a particular way. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's all online, designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist. And you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Rockstar listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash rockstarpod. That's betterhelp.com slash rockstarpod. Welcome back to Death of a Rockstar, the story of Nick Drake. There's one thought, isn't there, hearing all this? Why didn't anyone do anything about it? But this is the thing. Lots of them try. His father writes him a lovely letter. Not full of anger, you've let us down, you dropped out of college, you're wasting your life. But of support, of love. Take courage, take heart, you've really got it. That's what he writes, in his neat handwriting, dark blue on the cream notepaper. We've just played five leaves left on the stereo, and we think it's beautiful. The friends try to talk to him. John Martin, the folk singer who makes it, writes him a song, calls it Solid Air, sings, I know I love you, and I can be your friend. I can follow you anywhere. But Nick won't talk back, and others... Just look at him, staring silently into space and think, this is what genius is like. This is how great artists behave. Everyone trapped in a world they don't understand. And when Nick moves back to High Lees, the big house in the little village, he feels trapped too. Like it's a prison as well as a refuge. He tells his sister, I don't like it at home, but I can't be anywhere else. He borrows his parents' car, drives for hours all alone on the dark country roads, turns up at people's houses with a phone call half an hour before, sits there, drinks tea, leaves. He goes down to see the Martins on the south coast. This time he can't even ring the doorbell. A neighbour has to come and tell them. I think Nick Drake's on the beach. Shall I go and get him? Other times he drives without any destination, without any thought. His father will get a call. I've run out of petrol. Can you pick me up? His sister goes home to visit him. She says she hangs on every word, even when she doesn't know what they mean, when they're riddles. She says, one wanted so much to do something to help, but just didn't know what to do. He's on three types of antidepressants now, strong ones. Ones that don't so much calm you down as dim the light, put you on standby. So when a few more songs come, he doesn't record them with a band, doesn't even tell the record company, just goes into the studio at 11 o'clock one night, records for a few hours and does the same the next night. That's it. He can't play and sing at the same time anymore. The light is fading. 
He'll lay down the guitar and then whisper bleak, broken words over the top. There's a song called Pink Moon. He sings, Pink Moon's gonna get you all. There's another called Black Eyed Dog, the same way as Churchill used to describe his depression, his lost days, his dark nights. You don't need to know how someone is when you hear a song like that. It's there in front of you. And he sings how the dog knows his name, how it's at his door, how he's growing old and doesn't want to know. He drops the master tapes off with the receptionist at the record company, doesn't say anything about them. And when it comes out, the press officer writes an open letter on the cover, writes, his first two albums haven't sold a shit, but if we carry on releasing them, then perhaps someone authoritative will stop, listen properly and agree with us. They put full-page ads in the monthly music magazines. Maybe this is the time. There's a quote there from Rolling Stone magazine. The beauty of Drake's voice is its own justification. May it become familiar to us all. That's the hope. The reality? Nick at home, running out of songs. Nick at home, saying, I've failed in all the things I've tried to do. Nick at a squat with other junkies crying his eyes out, 26 years old, and saying to these other strung out kids, you remember me how I was, tell me how I was, I used to have a brain, I used to be somebody, what happened to me? It's three days later, he's back at High Lees, the house where it all begins where it ends. He goes to bed early. His mother sees him standing in the door, silent, says, Are you off to bed, Nick? And he walks away. Often he'll get up in the night, go downstairs for some cornflakes. His mum will hear him put on a dressing gown, go down and sit with him. But this time, there's no noise. Nothing. All morning. Just after midday, his mother pushes open his bedroom door and the first thing she sees is his long, long legs laid out across the bed. It's an overdose, that's what the coroner will say. Nick took too many of his antidepressants, his triptizol pills. Is it suicide? Yes, according to the coroner. But there's no note. His sister thinks of it as a deliberate accident, that he tips the pills into his hand, swallows them and says, What the hell? Either I die or I live and things will be changed. Something different will happen. And everyone feels helpless. The parents think it's their fault, that they failed to reach him. Then, at the funeral, they meet all these friends who feel the same. These friends who don't know each other, who don't overlap compartmentalised, kept away. So they all find a way. His sister thinks, it doesn't matter how much you love someone, you can't ultimately take the responsibility for them. You can do everything in your power, but you might still fail. John Martin, the one who writes a song for him, thinks back, says, no matter how much you told him you loved him, he still couldn't take it on board. 
and Nick Drake should fade away as the 1970s stretch out, disappear into the glossy 80s drifting on the breeze. But something happens, an echo at first, and then something more, a recollection, a rebirth. People talk, they share records, and when the records are too rare to find, a compilation comes out midway through the 90s. It's called Way to Blue, and it starts as a cult and finds the underground and then the mainstream. R.E.M. talk about his influence, his playing. Radiohead name-check him. Paul Weller talks of his music's magic and fragility. Bands name themselves after his lyrics. The Lilac Time. Others dedicate records to him. Remember Life in a Northern Town, a big hit in the 80s, sampled in the 90s? That's about him too. Elton John talks about how much he loves the first album. Bootlegs emerge of Elton's cover versions. Brad Pitt presents a BBC radio show about him. Heath Ledger is obsessed with him before his own early death. Wants to make a film of his life, settles for a video for Black Eyed Dog. In the US, Volkswagen used Pink Moon in a car ad. The album sold 6,000 copies before that comes out in 2003. Since then, 300,000 more. So people do find out about Nick Drake. The songs, the sound. They look at the few photos and the three albums and they find something of themselves, project what they feel onto the space he left behind. There's a review of Pink Moon in Melody Maker in the years when no one knows. And you think of it now when you think about the puzzles, the sense of loss and failure. The more you listen, the more compelling he becomes. That's what it says. But all the time, it hides from you. It could be that Nick Drake doesn't exist at all. This episode of Death of a Rockstar was written by Tom Fordyce and performed by me, Emma Clark. It was edited by Phil Brown. For research, we read Remembered for a While by Nick's sister Gabrielle and Nick Drake by Patrick Humphreys. We watched the documentaries A Stranger Among Us and A Skin Too Few and used the archives of the BBC, The Guardian, Melody Maker and the NME. If you haven't heard any Nick Drake, we'd start with Riverman. All spookiness, all promise. One of these things first for the happiness and black-eyed dog for what you couldn't escape. If this is your first episode, go back to series one and find our one about Jeff Buckley. And if you want another podcast series, search for Death of a Film Star and start with our episode about Heath Ledger. There's a man who loved Nick Drake. We'll have another rock star episode next Thursday. Thanks for listening. Crowd Network, a place where you belong. Yes, rock everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. 
If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimbut the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King, in off-road minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Mods to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. Hey you, do you have any plans this year? Ha! How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at Tuesday. 020-D.com, soundtalentmedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app.